Let's find common ground. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Florian Glatz, and today I'm joined by Clément Lezage, the founder of Cleros. Welcome to Finding Common Ground, your gateway to the digital revolution in community building, cooperative governance, and collective ownership. Join us as we explore the future of humankind in the 21st century with thought-provoking conversations featuring innovators, pioneers, and visionaries from around the globe. Let's embark on this journey together, bridging divides and reimagining our collective future. Get ready to be inspired, informed, and ignited. Let's find common ground. Clément, I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, please introduce yourself to all listeners who don't know you yet. So I'm Clément Lesage. Uh, I'm French and I live in Portugal. Um, I uh, started crypto around 2013, uh, first just like uh, as a hobbyist, uh, selling some crypto on local Bitcoin, uh, playing with Multisig, like Multisig at the time of Bitcoin, uh, so paid to us uh, a script. Um, and uh, after I finished my studies, uh, when I started uh, to work on, uh, on Keros, uh, at the time it was not called Keros, but it was like a two separate project, one side with Federico and one side with me. And uh, then we have put in touch by Suzanne of BitNation, uh, and then we choose the project into what will uh, then become Claros. Um, at Claros, we do two main things. Uh, one, which is obviously developing uh, the Claros protocol, uh, but then the other is developing the ecosystem. So for that, we are helping other people to integrate uh, with Claros, and we also made a few uh, showcase applications, uh, including uh, Pural Humanity. Uh, which is a decentralized list of, uh, of humans uh, where you have to put a deposit, find someone to watch for you, make a small video, and if you do everything correctly, you get registered. Uh, and uh, the idea that you can only register one time, so that's a, a system for, for speed resistance. So that's like the most known application that uh, made outside of Claros, uh, but that's, that's not the only one. You know, we have uh, create, create content, uh, token registry, uh, we have Lingo, an application for translation. So there are a bunch of small, uh, small projects uh, that were done uh, by uh, the Claros Cooperative uh, to, to bootstrap the ecosystem. Perfect introduction. Thank you so much. And a lot to dive into. Um, but we, before we get there, I would like to get your assessment a little bit where we stand in Web3 at the moment. Um, I've always admired uh, how you're working on really long-term projects. Claros and Proof of Humanity and uh, the applications that, that you have for Claros to me have always been sort of really long-term applications that will need sort of a, a very vibrant ecosystem in general to really bring value. And so you started quite early. I remember around 2017 when Claros, I think, emerged as a joint project. And back then there were hardly any users or use cases for blockchain. It was more hype than reality. Uh, you could argue that it's still the case today. I do think we've progressed quite a lot, but it's still, I think, pretty early days. Um, how do you see how Web3, as we call it today, or crypto, as the OGs call it, could actually break through to the mass market, um, assuming that hasn't happened yet? So I think... Uh... Web3 is already better for, I would say, purely financial services uh, than uh, like classic uh, finance, you know? Like if you pull 
a wallet to a bank, like the wallet is way, way better. You know, like uh, first you, you, you don't need to go anywhere. Like, like for me, you have to tell me, oh, you have to go into a physical place to open a bank account, show your ID, a bunch of document, uh, the bank can tell you no, so that's also important. So like the wallet, completely online, permissionless, you don't need to ask permission for everyone. Uh, you don't get rejected based on your business or on your income or on your risk profile. Uh, you, you just do it. So some people may still think, oh, well, you know, like classic banking, easier in crypto is hard, but that's basically just because they were born within the classic banking system. Uh, and well, obviously, you know, like now people are, well, born now, they will be born in a, uh, I hope like a more and more uh, crypto nice, I don't know what to call that, uh, ecosystem. So I think for like pure finance, crypto is already, is already there. Uh, ready to, to be used. Um, but maybe what is maybe lacking, uh, would be finance as part of, uh, I would say classic application. Like for example, uh, you want to have like a web three version of uh, Uber or, or Amazon, all of those, they are, they are not there yet. Um, I think it's really happened because of scalability issues. So, you know, like the last bull market, we got like a very strong bull market. Uh, but then what happened is, well, SRM, which is where most of the things uh, were happening, uh, gets bloated, like it, the, the transaction fee are very high. And so all of the low value transaction, uh, doesn't make sense anymore. So you can only have, uh, purely financial transactions, uh, which are high value. So it, and it can like stop this bull market at this point. Uh, because of technical constraints. And I think that's the only time it happened in the history of, of crypto, you know, like most of the time, and, you know, like you could just do all the transaction you wanted for, for a few cents and scalability was not a practical issue. Uh, but now we, we are blocked in the last market by scalability. Now, fortunately, we are like, getting to solve scalability, uh, with, uh, rollups. Uh, currently we don't have real reps. Like we have some experimental system with multi-sig. Uh, so in practice, it's not really a roll-up. It's more like, uh, I don't know. It's a roll-up with some training, a lot of training wheel, let's, let's call it this way. Um, but once we have real roll-ups, uh, I would expect that, uh, it opens to when, I don't even know if real roll-up may be sufficient. Maybe you're also in sharding because you're on roll-ups, the fees are not negligible. But once we manage to solve this scalability and, you know, like there is good indication that we're going to manage to solve those, uh, if you combine roll-up and charting, uh, we're not going to have a transaction fee issues anymore. And now we, it will open to a lot of non-finance, non-purely financial transactions. So I think that's how we, we get the, the crypto ecosystem to, to really go to the masses. Um, because for now, the crypto ecosystem in some way is quite self-referential. Uh, in the sense that, uh, oh, you know, like you make a, a blockchain SRM and okay, what, what fail do you have on it? Well, you have ETH to trade ETH. Uh, and after it becomes a bit less referential where now you have exchanges, you have stuff like Uniswap, Uniswap or whatever, uh, you have exchanges, which are, which are there, but then those exchanges, they also, they make some token and those tokens they also get trading on exchanges. Uh, and then you get some, uh, lending platform, lending platforms stuff uh, like Aave compound, uh, and they also have their token and you also can use the token of this platform and other exchanges on Aave or compound, uh, to do some leverage, which is also trading and, and all of this, you know, like you, you create a financial system, which is remarkable. 
and you create a financial system which is working well, uh, which doesn't need much government, well, doesn't, doesn't need government intervention. There is some government intervention that I generally think is bad. Uh, so you make a, a system which is a good contender to the classic financial system. But for now, it's still mainly self-referential. And why does it make sense that that's an evaluation? Uh, because I would think that rational actor would expect that in the future, you would have all those applications which are not purely financial, uh, which would also uh, go there. You know, like it's like for now, we just had like a banking system where we were only trading shares of, of banks or bank related products. Uh, but then we are betting that we'll be trading uh, things which are not just uh, like financial, like we, we can be trading futures uh, on a, like real asset, like, you know, like oil and gas. Uh, crops, so you can do some crop insurance. Like for now, we have insurance. Like we, we have fast, but it's insuring uh, so most of the time like smart contract risk or stable coins, uh, which are also within this financial system. So again, it's in some way it's self-referentials. Um, but the day where we can talk about an application and you you don't you don't put you don't put yourself into like a, this just like financial sector like if, if you are doing like crop insurance okay you are financial but you're also agricultural sector uh, or if you are doing a decentralized uber you have a very small finance path you, you have a finance department for sure but you are mainly in the in transport sector and no one will, most people will not argue that uber is a financial uh project so when we have a non-financial uh, thing that's actually what would be justifying the valuation of the financial ecosystem that has been built uh, today. That's a really interesting take and a bunch of things I want to pick up on. Uh, first of all, I like your reasoning for why the bull market, the last one, was sort of blocked. And you say it's because we had scalability issues. Uh, the blockchain could not be used for low-value transactions anymore. I think um, most people in the space or outside of the space actually would argue that the last bull market was interrupted by players like FTX, uh, Three Arrow Capital, uh, maybe even uh, Luna. Oh no, no so, sorry. So I'm not, I'm not talking about. Okay, for me, I'm seeing the not seeing like uh, in the middle. I'm talking about when ETH went to uh, a thousand, one thousand three hundred, and then went back to eighty. That that that's what I call the last bull. All right, all right. <laughs> I think you are probably seeing the current. But you know, it's not like double perspective, you know. Yeah. Uh, like for me, I started CTH at 30 cents. So when I see it drop from 4,000 to 1.5 thousand, it's still one market for me. When it dropped from 1.3 thousand to 80 dollars, okay, this is the end of the market. That's a healthy perspective. So we have to take things in uh, like uh, the crypto context. So for me, dividing by two or three is not really like uh, the end of the uh, market. Whether we went from 80. <laughs> too far out. This is a really encouraging perspective. Yeah, I remember that time when when ETH had dropped from thirteen hundred to eighty. I was also like, "Where is this journey going?" And uh, yeah, we went back quickly up. So there was there was indeed, um, and I agree, it's actually still quite bullish. Um, um, in terms of the non non financial applications that you mentioned, you're talking about Uber, Amazon, as an example. Um, me, myself, I, I would say I follow your hypothesis here and obviously with common ground, uh, I myself am placing a bet in the market, which is uh, a Web3 social network. 
what from your perspective is the most likely non-financial application that might drive, you know, uh, the market out of this self-referential, uh, situation? Is it social or is it, uh, transportation? Is it insurance? Uh, what are sort of indicators that you see out there that give you some confidence or that seem interesting? Yes, yeah, so social network can be a thing uh, because it's like very, very online uh, and a lot of people are actually complaining about the current handling of social network, uh, whether <laughs> my, they believe the, the moderation is not strict enough or is too strict depending on who you ask. Uh, so, so here you could have some, uh, some gains uh, by being decentralized where you could have individuals which will decide on their own level of moderation. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. And I think it can be one of the first few applications, uh, and you also gain gaming, even if gaming is not that, that strong of a market compared to, well, you know, like transport or, or social networks, um, it's also something which is purely online. So it's also easier to, to get after when you get into the physical world, it may be a bit more difficult, but it's also where a lot of the value reside, like getting some stuff like Amazon, like to, to buy anything with crypto, like a very efficient marketplace with almost no fees. Uh, I think that's something which, uh, which could really, which could really take off if you don't have any transaction issues. Yeah. And the last point you made that I found really beautiful and I haven't had someone who put it like this, but it just makes so much sense to me is to say that, well, if you've been born in a classical banking system, of course you will believe that banks are easier. Versus if you're born today and the first sort of account that you have is actually a wallet, you will forever find the wallet a more accessible form of storing value. Um, do you think wallet technology as it is today is ready for this sort of mass adoption by natives, digital natives, people born today? Or do we need some sort of breakthrough innovation for wallets to actually function? Do you already know Common Ground? Common Ground is a new kind of social network that is owned by its users and that brings the benefits of Web3 to communities. Be part of it now. you find the link in the description. I don't know if it's to be a breakthrough innovation, um, but you need to have a user to have kind of like training wheels. Uh, because currently, if you make like... The only thing which could go again, this statement that wallets are easier than the classic banking system, is that it's way easier to lose your money with a wallet than it is in the, in the banks. Uh, so it's like, like great power, great responsibilities. Um, so there will be some, I think, uh, improvements in, uh, in the wallet side. Uh, first one will be uh, social recovery, uh, where uh, you, if you lose your key, should have a way to, to get it back by proving uh, who you are. So it can be done by maybe kind of a, like a list of friends uh, who can uh, <clears throat> like vouch that, okay, you are this, uh, who you say you are. And obviously the wallet, you know, like you, you maybe have a, a corn dollar of a mold or something like that. So if, if you still have your key and someone's try to reassign your wallet to someone else, well, you can reconcile it yourself. Uh, but then if you lose your key, uh, maybe your, uh, like the friend that's designed can design a new address and now you, you get your wallet back. 
Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, wallet recovery. Um, the other one uh, would be to to have a security when uh, using application, uh, because most of the user, you know, like we ask them to sign something, they don't really know what they are signing. Well, you know, if they are signing a transfer of a native token, you know, a BTH, okay, they can most of the time see it. Um, but if you are doing like something more complex, uh, most users will not be able to know what it's doing. So I think it's not about having a UX, which is uh, like a security-oriented UX, where if you do something which seems where the wedge will tell you, okay, like, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to send your token to the address of the token contract? It doesn't seem right. Uh, do you really want to send your token to zero? It seems <laughs> you just are sending it to a new address and it's going to be bad. Like, do you really <laughs> want to do that? Confirm and, <laughs> yeah. and like show a small, uh, small clip uh, showing what was actually going to happen. Um, for that, uh, like some of the things are trivial on the wallet to prevent people from uh, mistakenly sending it to zero or sending it to the contract itself. Uh, it's something which is pretty trivial to implement. Uh, some of them may be harder for, because it's an adversarial thing uh, where you may have people who want you to sign some messages, which you know, it can be like a approved infinity of uh, USDC to this address and now they can bring your all your USDC. Um, for that, we usually have like a, a creating list of uh, of contracts which are to, to be considered as uh, as safe uh, and secured. Uh, I curious you already work on something a bit similar. It's not about just being safe and secure, but about tagging uh, contract addresses, uh, so you can see. Uh, uh, well, sometimes if you look in Etherscan, uh, you will see some some tag, and sometimes they will tell you, "Oh, these tags come uh, come from Keras." Uh, so obviously we have a, like a way bigger list than what is shown in Etherscan, but Etherscan shows whoever submitted first. So if it was submitted by someone before, like the Claro system, you're not going to show as Claro, but most of the time you will also see that the Claro's uh, tag list. So this way you can know that, okay, like you're approving to uh, this AVE contract and not, uh, you are not on the, on the scam website. Uh, so scam websites are very, you know, like recommend, I know someone who got scammed. Um, I prevented someone from getting scam in front of me, uh, where, uh, someone was about to use, uh, uh, like a fake Gnosis safe and it was from Google. Oh, wow. Like in front of, it was in front of me. Uh, so we are talking about wow. safe and he typed Gnosis safe from Google and click on the first link, which pops up, except the first thing, it's some paid advertisement by a scammer. Uh, and, uh, I wow. knew what I could wow. do and this is, this wrong. Uh, we reported that to Google and well, it was like in a few minutes, Google had removed the advertisement. Uh, so, or maybe I got lucky and someone had reported before me, but in a few minutes it was removed from Google. Uh, but you may still have a bunch of people who may have clicked and got uh, the phone ring. So interesting. That, that's something which is, uh, which is, uh, you know, like I, I have to, I have to go around. Uh, you're ready to, to have also in, so your wallet. Uh, they should have a list of all the websites and then make some machine learning to warn you, okay, this looks like this other website, but it's not, uh, if you really want to proceed. Uh, in the same way you have, you know, like, uh, anti-malware, we should have like one working more as anti-malware. And one of the issues, uh, for that to happen, uh, is that we, we've, we've been talking with some wallets. I mean, like a browser wallet, not, not like what was safe, uh, it's a very different thing because you can make modules and they are very open to anyone making modules. Uh, but the wallet like MetaMask, 
they will be way more conservative. And they will be way more conservative because they will be scared that if something bad happens, uh, they will be blamed. So like, you know, like if MetaMask doesn't tell you that this contract is happy or not, well, they will think, well, no, it's the responsibility of the user to verify what this contract is. But then they are scared that if they have a system which labels the contract people are interacting with, and at some point they label something wrong, uh, they will be the one to blame. And this is like a very bad uh, situation uh, because by labeling things, they will reduce the amount of scams, but they would increase the amount of people blaming them for being scammed. Uh, you see, <laughs> that's a real incentive. I get the point. Yeah. I, I love that there is an application of the Keras protocol hidden in there, which is about curating a list of safe uh, addresses and safe providers and so on. So uh, it just goes to show that you've chosen a really hard long-term problem to solve with Keras. So I think good for you. Um, one problem you didn't mention, and I want to understand how you much see it as a problem, is what some people call the onboarding problem which is that uh, how do people actually get their first cryptos into a wallet, right? I can download the wallet app. I can install the MetaMask plugin. Great, I have a wallet now, but I don't have any crypto. And most people today will have to register at a centralized exchange, um, get KYC there, uh, which might be a hurdle for some people. And then they have to deposit funds from a bank account, which is another hurdle. And then they can finally buy some crypto. They need to take it off the exchange. So it's such a cumbersome process so I don't feel like this is going to scale to these billion plus users that we want to see in the space. How do you think this is going to be solved? Is it these non-financial apps that are going to give these cryptos to people? Is it going to be some other distribution mechanism? How, how do we solve this element of the of the onboarding? Well, you know, like I think you, just like if people are using crypto and they like it, they are also, you know, multiplying. Like for me, like uh, I don't know how many people I, I've introduced to crypto, you know, like, uh, some people, you know, like I need to pay them. I, I send them, some, I show them how to use the wallet and I need them some crypto, uh, for payment, uh, with Kleros and Proof of Humanity, uh, we had some onboarding events where we also gave a small amount of, uh, uh, of crypto to people to, to start and, uh, and, uh, use the application as we are developing. So I think if most people are quite keen to onboard people they know, uh, you know, it can multiply quite fast. Even if everyone is onboarding one person every year, you know, it's not even much, uh, you, you can replenish you know, like that exponential multiplication. And to get to the point where everyone is onboarding one person every year, like you need to have a lot of interest and a lot of value for uh, people using crypto for them to do that. I like that. And I have to say, I also onboarded taxi drivers. I onboarded barkeepers. I onboarded the most random people over the years into crypto by sending them some. So, I mean, it's a fun experience uh, for both sides actually to do this. So maybe that's a good way to, uh, to think about it. Sometimes you have people who just want to get some crypto and, you know, like you just exchange them, you know, like they give you, I don't know, like hundred uh, euro and you just send the currency in crypto, uh, just so, so they can, they can get started, you know. So let's talk a little bit about Clairvoz. Um, in my mind, Clairvoz firmly occupies this spot of on-chain dispute resolution. That's how I initially, you know, understood the protocol you're building. But then looking at the use cases you're churning out, it feels like this is the wrong way to even frame it. Um, what is the most generalized definition of the Clairvoz protocol in your mind? And 
um, is dispute resolution even something that you still have in scope or uh, that's how we dispute. Um, but if you want to frame it in a more generalized way, but that's going to be less, it's easy to understand for newcomers. We could see it as a, uh, as an optimistic subjective oracle. Uh, so <laughs> that's why we have to reinvent those three words. Um, so oracle, where you have to answer some question, uh, optimistic in the sense that most of the time you don't go to Pleros. Most of the time someone answers the question and no one complains. So, uh, for example, you have an insurance claim, someone makes an insurance claim, no one challenges the claim. So optimistically, the insurance claim can be executed and the insurance can be paid out. Uh, or for a prediction market, uh, you ask who won the US election and someone is going to report that it's Biden and no one is going to challenge it. But in this case, someone challenges it. <laughs> <laughs> if no one challenges it, then it's going to be accepted. If someone challenges it, then you know you have Kleros. Uh, we need to, uh, to, to come here. So that's uh, the optimistic. Uh, and uh, subjective, um, so it's subjective, but not very subjective. You just like slightly subjective. Uh, so because you have for purely objective things, smart contracts are good enough. Like if you want to exchange a token for another one, it's a purely subjective uh, interaction. Uh, also, it's a purely objective interaction. So the smart contract can just you know like swap those tokens, uh, and there is no need of a potential human development. Uh, but now if you ask a question which is even slightly subjective, which is like, what is this contract act? Who won this election? Uh, was there an earthquake at this place? Uh, then you may need some uh, human involvement at some point. Um, I think that is a good explanation and shows the range of use cases actually that it has. Um, you uh, obviously have been in the market now for, I guess, six years at this point, uh, which is quite a while. Um, I, a lot of peers that you started with have built, um, businesses that, that have, um, to some extent found adoption. I'm in particular talking, of course, about, um, DeFi applications, um, such as Uniswap, which has become maybe one of the most popular applications in crypto, the lending protocols, the stable coins maker. Clairvoss seems to still sort of wait for its big day. How do you look at adoption of chaos? Do you, are you happy with the state of, of adoption and where sort of do you see the most use of chaos at the present day? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a way like you compare to, like there is some, maybe some bias in the sense that you compare to a project that everyone knows. Uh, actually, if you look at most of the project, which were there when we started, you know, most of them, they are just dead, you know, <laughs> there is that That's much true. Like, that is true. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so like the, the way for close adoption is that it's like a twofold adoption, uh, because it's not, uh, an app, but it's a brick for apps. So it may have a slower start, but the idea is that we are working on, uh, not the derivative, but the second derivative, we put that in, uh, and the more English terms where <clears throat> we want to have a growth. In terms of application using Clairos, and we also want those applications to have a growth themselves. So that, that's why we want to, to work on this kind of second order growth. Uh, so how many, like most applications, let's say they are increasing the speed, uh, our goal is to increase the acceleration, even if it means that we are probably uh, starting uh, slower. 
Um, if you look at the use cases, well, in terms of user, you know, you're going to have proof of humanity. Uh, where I think it's something like, uh, like 15, 20,000 people uh, were registered. Uh, if you look at uh, what the biggest cases, uh, which aren't reactive now, but the biggest cases we got uh, were with uh, the prediction market during the Trump election, where I suppose $2.5 million at stake, something like that. Um, if we look, oh, this would be the biggest case, like dispute. If you look at um, the highest amount of uh, value secured, uh, you will look with insurance, with unsplashed. Uh, and I think now they have something like 16,000 is over insurance pool. Uh, they had more before, but you know, like USC uh, <laughs> happened. So they had around uh, maybe a quarter of their insurance fund, which was used to, to pay off people with USD claims. And that's also where we had the, like, the highest amount of, like say, like clear or secure uh, value transfer, which happened. Uh, so it's lower than the, the prediction market dispute because most of those are not disputed because it uses like people claim and no one complains. Uh, but that's going to be also where we had the highest amount of uh, value transfer in system link uh, with Claros. But you know, like even Claros would be really viable even with one big application, like some project. Uh, they were making their own dispute resolution system. Uh, like if you look uh, at um, Augur, for example, like Augur was on one hand a prediction market and on the other hand, like this dispute resolution system for this prediction market. So even one very successful application would make Claros worthwhile. And actually it's already worthwhile. Like if you look at the value that is securing this way, it's way higher than the market cap. So uh, I would say that uh, it's already uh, very worthwhile. Mm -hmm. um, before we talk about proof of humanity, because I think this is probably your most fascinating application so far, uh, maybe a quick detour on the Claros token. Um, do, do you think looking back, um, I mean, back in 2017, the token tokens were a big thing and, and everybody launched a token. Um, now in 2023, where probably a lot of new projects are also starting out and, and wondering, should we have a token? Does it still make sense to have a token? Um, do you think it was a good choice to launch Claros based on a token? Um, is it even, you know, is it relevant for Claros to succeed? Um, would you do anything differently in this regard? So Claros cannot work without a token. Uh, it's a shilling coin system. Uh, you need to have a specific token to stake and to be drawn as dual. Uh, if you were to use another token, uh, like let's say ETH, for example, uh, you will end up into uh, incentive issues. Uh, so some of the incentive issues would be uh, that, um, for example, if you manage to 15% attack a Claros with ETH, well, you still got your ETH back, but now if you 15% attack a Claros with PNK, well, you destroy the system, you destroy the value of the system, and you end up with worthless PNK. So you have a, a cost of attack, uh, which is by IF. Uh, you also have a recovery mechanism, that if someone were to be able to make an attack, you could force the system, which wouldn't be possible with ease because people will not force ETH just because of uh, the application on it. Uh, well, unless you're the but <laughs> that's another question. Um, and also in terms of the budget of an attack, because if you want to buy 51% of the PNK, which are mainly using Claros, uh, you will move the market uh, far more than if you wanted to buy 51% of the ETH, you would buy Claros. It wouldn't be systems of all the, all the ETH, it will only be systems of all the ETH used by Claros. So because of that, uh, Claros is a, 
a system which uh, is fulfilling the, uh, the crypto economic manifesto. Of your, you need to have a, a token which is a necessary element of your system. It's a necessary element. Replacing it with any other token will add a good functioning of the system. That is a good reason. So it, it, it tends to be like my position uh, for quite some years that most of the tokens are useless. Um, maybe now I'm a bit more balanced uh, because, you know, at first you are like very idealistic, like only make tokens when make the system better. Uh, but sometime you may have a trade-off between making a token, which is making the system worse, but which is making the success of the system more likely. Or how does that make any sense? Uh, <laughs> I will explain. Um, an example would be Sushi. Sushi is a good example of that. So if you look at the system uh, of Sushi, uh, well, if you have this token, you will take some part of the, of the what they call trading fee, which um, are spread. Uh, you will take some part of the spread and give it uh, to the Sushi order instead of the people providing liquidity. So it makes it such that providing liquidity is uh, less efficient and it's also making such that trading is less efficient because you have some fee which goes to Sushi order. So it would look like it's making the system work, right? Uh, and everything being equal, it makes the system work. But in some way, it makes it easier for the system to succeed because by giving a lot of yield farming incentive, uh, you manage to uh, well, you know, manage to get notice, you manage to get some user at start. So it's a bit like giving yourself a, good, a very good advantage at start, uh, and then you will get a disadvantage in the longer term. Uh, but sometimes we saw this advantage at start, you will not even have managed to start in the first place. Yeah. Like a lot and of projects they require for him, like, like all the ICO, like a lot of projects that require some funding. If there was no funding, there would not be any project. And so now the main SEOs have a token and implement a fee somewhere or put their token in some places where it was not needed, making the sense slightly worse. But without this token, you will not have any system in the first place. So now I more or less see that as, you know, like non profit are good. Uh, but sometimes, like a corporation, uh, is also good because something will not manage to get funding if it was just done uh, uh, purely from uh, altruistic uh, funding. I think that is a really nice perspective, actually, and I think the sushi swap uh, example is a nice one because they did in fact succeed in in launching a product that uh, that was clearly competing. With Uniswap and and thanks to this token, they they were able to actually bootstrap it. And I also feel that this is a recipe that will be leveraged in the future by projects to actually attack Web two competitors. So in the case of Common Ground, for example, we want to launch a token that it just incentivizes people to switch over from something like Discord, Facebook, or any other classical Web two app. And although a social network doesn't strictly need a token it sort of can help to break network effects, right? And so I think this this is a good justification for a token. Um, I want to dive a little bit into proof of humanity now because to me it's so fascinating. Um, even in, especially now that we see the takeoff of artificial intelligence, uh, I see a lot of discussion at the moment on Twitter about sort of this wave of fake news, fake content, and I think Balaji, uh, this uh, famous crypto uh, influencer and investor, set up a tweet 
uh, today or yesterday saying that the only thing uh, that AI won't be able to make in the future is physical people slash community uh, and, and cryptography, essentially. And uh, so I think that uh, we, are, we are at a point where we need an ability to prove whether you're a real human or not. And um, it seems that Proof of Humanity is taking quite a unique approach here. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about how you solve it. And um, maybe you can contrast it to uh, something like WorldCoin, which is funny enough, uh, I, I think an approach to solve the same problem by Sam Altman, the guy who actually founded OpenAI. So it seems that he predicted the problem that his OpenAI creation uh, will bring, and he, he incorporated a company or started a company, a WorldCoin, that solves it, but they do solve it but with a centralized uh, sort of biometrics-based approach to capturing unique identities. So um, give, me, give me the pitch for Proof of Humanity, why, how it works and why it's possibly better than, than what the Silicon Valley people are trying to, to bring to the world. Well, if you are just comparing to war crimes, then it's very, very hard to get better I know because you have other proof of a personhood project which, which I will uh, but uh, I think Warfarin cannot work and it comes from a physical misunderstanding of uh, of computing um, so Warfarin they give an orb and they say oh this orb is going to scan some irises and then going to create uh, some ID and this orb uh, in some way is trusted uh, but then you have physical possession of the orb. So you, you cannot trust a machine after giving it away to someone else. So yeah, you can make stuff, making it harder to break it. Uh, like in the other example would be stuff like SGX, like, like uh, secure enclaves, uh, but they already get broken, you know, like SGX already get broken. So the question is not whether someone can break a word coin or not, it's how expensive it is to break it. But in short, it can be broken. Because at the end of the day, there's just some electric signals which are at only one place at a time. And you can just, you know, like, you could tip them at, at the worst. You could probably have easier attack thing, but at the worst, you can tip them to uh, register wherever you are. Blockchain cannot suffer from that because blockchain, the computation, is done and repeated by all the nodes of the network. So you can do whatever you want on your machine, but if your results are wrong, well, you will auto-sync with it. Well, um, so that, that's why Warcraft can, cannot work. Um, so for humanity, um, there is like with some elements, which are, for example, like what uh, we call like biometrics. Uh, you work on like very specific biometric uh, that maybe could be as more precise, but also uh, more uh, invasive. Uh, while for humanity, we don't uh, ask you anything more than, you know, like someone looking at this post cast they get our face, you know, like <laughs> we're not repeating anything more by uh, registering with from humanity than what we are repeating in this podcast. So less invasive biometric, but public uh, publicity of the of the biometric with pro humanity. Um, also with pro humanity, we have this uh, social vouching uh, where you need to have someone to watch for you to register, and if they vouch for someone who is gonna uh, well make a multiple registration, um, 
and this is detected, the person watching is going to be removed also. The person watching for you has to trust you that you're not trying to attack it. And not even if you're an attacker, currently we only require one watch. So if you're an attacker, you need to be able to succeed your attack uh, more than 50%. Because if you succeed less than 50%, on average, you will lose identities uh, when you are detected. So we accept that there is no system will be perfect, uh, but we can probably have a system uh, such that the attack rate uh, be uh, lower than the, the attack success rate will be lower than 50%. So currently, I don't think we've ever seen uh, anyone managing to make multiple identities on Pro of Humanity. Um, it doesn't mean that everything is solved because even if no one managed to make fake identities, uh, what happened uh, was people uh, selling or being tricked in giving you the identity. So basically, you know, like people went in uh, low income countries and say, oh, well, I'm going to give you well, like five or 10 bucks uh, if you make this video and then let me keep the key. And the person may not even know what the key is. So we say like, oh, and I get five or 10 bucks for free. But that, that, that's, and now you get some guy getting a lot of identity. Sometimes they get, they get caught uh, because they aren't very careful. Uh, but um, you may have some which will not be caught. So even if you solve the civil attack problem, um, we don't solve so we saw the problem that there is one human behind every identity, but we don't uh, solve the problem of whether this is this human who is actually controlling the identity and it hasn't sold its identity to someone else. So that would be like the limitation that we have for now. Uh, and uh, like further of, uh, war on the top, uh, stuff like SVT, support tokens, uh, may make it such that it's way harder to uh, to just make a bunch of fake identities. For example, even perhaps perhaps are the technically SVT because you can move them, uh, but they can more or less act as, as SVTs. Uh, like your algorithm to detect if someone is validated or not to look at whether those perhaps are moving. Uh, so now, like you are going to some event and you get some perhaps, uh, so you will need people to be actively involved in their identity uh, to give a, a more credible identity than they are actually the one uh, behind those. So we, I think, yeah, if we combine probability with SBTs, uh, we're going to get a way better civil resistance systems. There are, um, so first of all, I, I love your answer to why WorldCoin can't work is this, I've got to remember that one and use it in the future. <laughs> this is very good. It makes sense, actually. I've seen on YouTube videos how people hack uh, Trezor wallets uh, and those, uh, those kinds. So even in those kinds of sort of secure digital devices, for protecting your crypto coins, people have found ways to interrupt the electrical signals uh, and then actually uh, extract the private keys and so on. So I think your, your case has been already proven. A little bit. Um, what uh, in your mind is the biggest use case for proof of humanity? Um, is it, uh, as some people believe, maybe universal basic income? Maybe that's even what the world current people are imagining for their system. Is it fighting fake news? Is it a better kind of social media? Is it governance and something like DAOs? What what excites you personally, and, and what do you think is going to be the the driver for the driver of demand for the system in the near or midterm? Yeah, I would say generalized voting. Uh, so you can see like classic voting, where you could have them with one person one vote, which may actually not necessarily be the best because you know like. When you are voting by coins, you have the issue of cryptocurrency. 
uh, where you are voting with one person, one vote, uh, you have the issue of giving the same amount of vote to a guy who just registered once uh, and delegated compared uh, to uh, you know, a core developer of the, of the system, uh, which may not be what you want either. So maybe you want something a bit better. Um, so on social network, social network, when you are liking something, uh, when you are giving reviews, uh, like, you know, like the star system that you would see on Uber or uh, uh, Google, Google, Google Maps, etc. Uh, all of that are some, some sort of voting in the sense of generalized voting. So all of those, they can uh, be manipulated by, by bots uh, and uh, being able to verify that people are human behind it uh, to make the voting system more better, uh, I think it's very, very important. Uh, and even systems which are mixing money and, uh, and human, like for example, quality voting or quality funding, uh, they are mixing money and human because you are spending some tokens um, but the, the idea with quadratic funding is that one person uh, giving uh, $10 is going to have less impact uh, than two person giving $5 each. So if you can make more identities, well, that means that uh, you, you can buy the system. Well, if you can make uh, as many identities as you want, you have all those identities giving one cent each and uh, you get all the matching for yourself. But you can, um, so you need civil resistance system for, for all of those things. And we cannot really rely on, uh, well, on government. Uh, okay, government, they can make you some passport. Uh, are they even good at it and making some chip and at, uh, only making the amount of chip that they are supposed to make? Like it's suffice of having one rogue government to like make fake passports. Um, we, when we want to, like that's more a philosophical question, uh, which is, I think a lot of people who are attracted by crypto, um, at least in the early days, still now, but now you also get uh, way more, I would say, mainstream thinking uh, into people in crypto, but early days, it's like, you know, like the cypherpunk, uh, like Polynipolis, uh, Polynipolis is the idea that you have a system that you want to, to change. And instead of doing a revolution uh, and, you know, attacking frontally the system, uh, what you do is just you make your own competing system, uh, but you don't engage with, uh, with the existing system. You make your own competing system and file the system, and if it's better, you know, people are going to come there instead of uh, going to, to the current system. Like that's the idea for banking, you know, like people in crypto, they are not trying to hack banks and bring the, the banking system down, you know. Some people may be a bit maybe like banage, but it's like, uh, saying that the USD is going to break. Okay, some people may still use a bit of this tactic, but it's not where the main energy is focused. Like the main energy is focused into making something which is better, not bring, bring down the existing. So on this philosophy, obviously, you cannot really rely on states uh, because crypto is going to uh, replace a lot of the function of the state. Uh, and the, well, the main one, what's obvious for me is obviously money. You mentioned uh, soulbound tokens um, as sort of one part of the recipe of, of making the scale. Uh, now, I know a lot of critics in the identity space, people that have been working on what's called self-sovereign identity or SSI uh, for many years, uh, over a decade, some of them, and they're heavy critics of the soulbound token concept because of its privacy implications. Um, where do you stand on this debate? Do you think it's to be expected that in the future our identity and sort of personal data will live on blockchains and that's just how it's going to be? Or 
do you see a technical way to sort of combine the best of both worlds and actually have privacy while we have this concept of on-chain identity? How do you look at this? So yeah, you have a dilemma between making something which is private by default and having privacy going on top. For example, it would be you have Zcash, which is private by default. Uh, you have Ethereum, which is uh, like public by default, but then you can put privacy on top uh, with stuff like Amatara uh, Cash, for example. So the advantage of doing something which is public by default and can have some privacy layoff is that it's way easier to develop. So you get some speed, uh, you get the thing going first, you can get the traction. Um, and I think, you know, like that's why, you know, like SRM is, is like leading the, the blockchain space, uh, just in terms of usage, um, not in the discussion, I don't even know if the people are, are building stuff and discussion anymore. Um, people will say, okay, but then you get the issue that if not everything is private, people who are going to use privacy are going to be targeted. Uh, and that's true. You know, like what happened with other cash? Uh, with uh, some system which are actually monitoring on chain activity and are specifically tagging from coming from the cash as being uh, like dirty or risky, even if most of users are just uh, privacy conscious and, and not criminals. Um, but yeah, I think I would still be more in the in the side of make something fast and public, and then add people and let people make privacy layer on top. So for uh, like said for sovereign identity, we already know, like we, we know we can make it private. Like it's not like a technological thing that is not gonna be possible. It's just that it makes everything more complicated and make all the development slower. Uh, but you know, we can make ZK proof, uh, you, even this for humanity, you know, we got the guy of Sismo uh, who made a way to, to prove that you are registered without uh, actually having to reveal which, which is your uh, registration. So yeah, I think we, we're going to get some private proof of humanity. So private in the sense that your address that you use in your daily life doesn't need to be associated with you. Uh, but the limitation is that you still need to be associated with proof of humanity. People should, would be able to know that you are registered, but then they would not know which, which address is your. Um, an interesting uh, aside, I remember when I was first checking out Proof of Humanity, that was when it just was freshly launched, I think. I saw Vitalik on there. And then recently I checked again and it seems he's gone from the system. Do you know why? Is, is it even possible to unregister or what, what, was there a bug when I was when I was looking for him? Oh, well, I think it is because uh, the submission expires and they need to be uh, remade. And expiration just starting now. So all the people who registered very early, uh, they got, uh, like they got okay, expired. Okay. Then, yeah. that sense. okay, cool. Um, do you have, I, I know it's now four minutes to, to the full hour. You probably have to go in four minutes or do you have somewhat? No, I, I have another call in four minutes. So I <laughs> have you. Okay, perfect. Then, um, okay. Thank you, Clemo. You are a wealth of knowledge and it's incredible. I've learned a lot today. Uh, your take on things is just so refreshing and unique, I feel. Uh, please keep up the great work and thank you so much for being a guest. Thanks so much, Ryan.